0: In this episode, I want to look at both sides of the arguments for God's existence. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash Faith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com, where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Right now on my blog, I'm going through the arguments for God's existence and breaking each one down one by one, digging deeply into why these particular arguments for God's existence exist, and then trying to make them simplified and a bit more user-friendly. Now, in the future, I may do a similar thing on the podcast itself, but today what I really wanted to do was to give sort of a crash course for those who may be thinking or wondering why Christians actually believe that God exists. And so half of this episode will be that, but what I also want to do is look at arguments that people will make against us that challenge God's existence. And I want to do all of this for one specific reason— A lot of times within Christianity, and I talked about this on my episode about whether God calls for us to have blind faith, but a lot of times we approach things like logic and reason and science as enemies of our faith. We get concerned that the more someone uses their mind when it comes to Christianity or understanding God or reading the Bible, the more they're going to take away or pull down God's holiness and his sovereignty, and, and just how amazing he is. And so a lot of times when it comes to things like debates or just having good back-and-forth conversations with people, a lot of people will freeze up and not really know how to explain how God could possibly exist outside of saying, well, the Bible says he does. And of course the big issue with that is that we as Christians wouldn't say, well, I know that Islam is correct because the Quran says that it is. You know, so So we as Christians, it's good that when the Bible says something, we let it be our authority, but that's not a good argument for anyone who doesn't already see God's word as divinely inspired. And so, you know, a lot of people, they will not know how to respond or, and maybe this is because of that, what will end up happening is that when people get exposed to arguments against God's existence, they will doubt him because, you know, maybe growing up, or maybe you know, just right now where they're at in life, you have one side who says, well, God exists and you just have to believe it. We can't explain why, you just have to trust. And then we have this other side that says, look, think about it logically, use your mind. Here are the reasons why God can't possibly exist. And in a way, the atheistic side is going to win in that scenario because we as human beings can't just base everything on feeling and emotion. We need to believe something and we need to know why we believe what we believe and that's you know a big thing about this ministry and things I've talked about is that it's it's good to to have belief but if we don't know why it's not going to stand up under criticism or scrutiny or even when those hard times in life come you know our faith isn't built on just how we feel it's built on what we know and we know the truths of God because of what we've experienced and how we've thought of it and so as we're kind of launching into this episode, I want us just to remember one thing, and we get that from Second Corinthians ten five, which says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So if you are one of those or if you know someone in your life who says, you know, Oh, I don't need logic, I I don't need to think, I just need Jesus. You know, that sounds very good on the surface, but ultimately, that's not what God's Word is teaching us. That's not the example that the apostles set for us. We see that we are to take all our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, and that's not just our thought life, but how we think, what our worldview is. And so as I'm digging into these, it's going to be a lot of kind of logic and reason, and that's not because I'm just saying, oh, well, you know, the Bible's not enough, but The reason that I think we as believers need to love logic and reason is that God is the one who established the universe to work under the laws of logic. And so if God exists, it makes sense that he would be able to be known, that the things that he says about himself are going to be evidenced around us. And so that's why, you know, there's a huge difference between belief in God and just belief in God's. You know, things like Zeus or Baal, you know, things that have no grounding in reality. They're just kind of a cultural belief. And God is different from that, because if God's real, we're going to be able to find a way to understand that. Now, we're not going to be able to find God necessarily, you know, physically, and we're not going to be able to make concrete arguments for him. But what we can do as Christians, as as people who want to honor God and bring glory to him in every part of our lives— including how we talk to others. There are ways that we can look at the universe around us, look at the people around us, and see that it makes no sense for any of this to exist unless God existed first. And so, keep that in mind, and I'm going to just launch right into it. So, the reasons why God must exist. The first one, and one that I've found a lot of people lately have been kind of latching onto is called the moral argument. In other words, God has to exist because we as human beings understand right and wrong. Now, from a Christian perspective, we know that it's God who establishes right and wrong. We understand what is good and what is evil based on the character and nature of God himself. And to a degree, this is kind of funny, because people will say, you know, God is just an evil moral monster. But how are they defining evil? How can they define what good would look like? You know, because as human beings, we we inherently have good and evil written on our hearts. You know, even if you are never exposed to the Bible or the teachings of Jesus Christ, everyone around the world has an inherent understanding of morality. And We see this in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, which says, For the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So, You know, this is often used to get into why those who never hear the gospel are still guilty of sin, because they aren't guilty necessarily of rejecting Christ. They're guilty of even breaking the law that they themselves know. So whenever we go against our conscience, as the book of James says, you know, when we don't do what we should or when we do what we know we shouldn't, we are breaking kind of a self-imposed law. And... What's really interesting about this and where this starts to prove God's existence is that on one hand, everyone around the world understands kind of the basics of right and wrong. So, you know, as we discover new civilizations or places that haven't been touched by anything like Christianity or really any Abrahamic religion, we see that people instinctively tend to understand that things like murder is wrong, the concept of adultery should be avoided, that children are important and need to be protected. Now, of course, we need to balance that by saying that, yes, there are cultures, even in our modern world today, that don't embrace those things. But what we need to realize is that the currently held beliefs of anyone, whether it's an individual or a country or, or a tribe or whatever, they don't just pop into existence. They're a long line of cause and effects that basically where a a culture's history and how the worldviews of each generation have helped shape their current values and their current belief systems. So yes, in America, we're okay with certain kinds of murder. In some cultures, things like polygamy, you know, having multiple wives is seen as kind of a sign of maybe wealth or power or privilege. And so yes, there's no one universal overriding thing where people will say, you know, everyone agrees that murder is wrong. But what we do see is that there's certain patterns of morality that trace themselves all throughout history, throughout every culture. Now, what we need to ask ourselves is, where does this come from? Why do people instinctively know what is right and wrong or or good or bad or, or righteous or evil? Well, without God, we actually can't explain that because it makes absolutely no sense for What were basically animals, you know, because you'd have to come from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes no sense that animals would suddenly develop a sense of right and wrong. Now, we see that animals understand things like self-preservation and they understand following their baser instincts. But what right and wrong do is they go against those animalistic instincts because doing the right thing is not always a matter of self-preservation, And doing the wrong thing can often go against our basic instincts. And so things like giving money to those who are in need, even if it offers no benefit to us, doesn't make sense from an evolutionary standpoint. Trying to vote for a political candidate who will benefit the country, even if it maybe infringes on our own desires, doesn't make sense from an evolutionary standpoint. You know, even something as simple as telling the truth, You know, you remember growing up, or if you have kids, telling the truth very rarely gets you something positive. If you can, without question, get away with a lie, why not lie? If it makes you feel good to hurt or murder somebody, why not murder them? You know, that is the worldview that is necessary if God doesn't exist, because the ideas of right and wrong or morality mean absolutely nothing, because they're just chemical reactions in our brains. There's no higher standard that we can hold our actions to if God doesn't exist. But if God does exist, then no matter what our culture says, what our emotions tell us, whatever the laws are or what people around us are doing, it doesn't matter because we don't hold ourselves to our own personal standards. We hold right and wrong against a higher standard that doesn't move. Because as we've seen just in America today— standards, morality, what we call evil, changes. Generation by generation, evil becomes more good and good becomes more evil. But no one on any side of any argument, whether you're for or against abortion or for or against gay marriage or certain types of government or how you view taxes, whatever, unless there is a higher standard that we are holding things to, No one has any argument for anything because it's all a matter of personal opinion. It's just a matter of, well, here's how my brain chemicals are firing and they go against yours. And there's no reason for the two sides to try to come to an agreement or persuade each other. Why not just kill the other side? what, What makes murder evil? You know, those are the very serious questions that someone with an atheistic worldview has to answer and they have to wrestle with. Because there's a popular way of just saying, well, that's just how we've adapted and evolved. You know, we do it, we do good, we see things as good or evil for the protection of society. And that's a comforting thought, but that's not how people make their decisions. People don't say, oh, well, I want to do this because it's best for everyone else around me. And even if they did, without God, why is it good to protect those around you? Why is it good for a species or a culture to continue? Because rocks don't develop morality. Rocks don't have a thought of, oh, you know, I need to do this or not do this so that the world around me will be benefited. You know, morality isn't just a thing that develops, it's a thing that's given, it's something that's taught, it's something that's inherently within us. And the only reason it makes sense is if God exists and if God is the one who not only creates the standard of good and evil, but also puts it within us so that even people who don't know him or even people who hate him can still think and behave in ways that are either good and moral or evil, and they will know which is which on Judgment Day. Now, another argument for God's existence is called the cosmological argument, and this basically just means that every beginning has a beginner. And I would add to that that anything that exists, exists because it has a purpose. So what do I mean by this? Well, look at an object around you. Your phone, a cup, whatever. One thing that we can inherently know about that object is that it didn't just come about on its own. Your cup didn't just spontaneously cobble itself together from different types of material. Your phone didn't just compress itself From things like sand turning into glass and rubber trees for some reason creating a protective case and things like that. We know that if we see things that are actual objects, things that have a function, someone is behind them. You know, so if we see a wall, we know that someone created that wall. If we see a tree, we know the tree didn't just pop into existence, that it had a beginning from a seed. And that seed started from another tree. And that tree started from a seed on and on we go. And so the way that I like to kind of explain this argument is to think of a ball that is moving. If you're walking down the street or on the sidewalk and you see just a red rubber ball rolling along, you know that that ball is being pushed by something else. What you're seeing has a cause. And so you could say that, you know, a a child kicked the ball, maybe some wind picked it up, you know, whatever cause there is maybe it's just gravity you know if you put a ball on a downward slope gravity is going to cause it to to start moving but when you see that ball you know that there is a reason that it's doing what it's doing you know that it doesn't just exist on its own but that there is more behind what you're seeing and so when it comes to existence we know that god has to exist because everything that we see exists with purpose and function it has form and ultimately it just exists So if you've ever heard, you know, some like college kid who has taken a philosophy class for a few weeks and he's starting to ask all the big questions about life, you know, he'll sit there and he may, you know, stroke his goatee and say, you say God exists, but who created God? And that sounds very intelligent and that sounds very challenging to the Christian faith. And indeed, there are some people who can't explain that and it's a challenge, but This is actually why God must exist because everything that we see has to be created by something else and on and on and on it goes. Everything within our universe and even the universe itself we are learning had to have a start. Now the problem comes in is either we say that whatever created the universe had to be created by something and that had to be created by something. We can keep going on infinitely backwards and saying that, Everything that created something had to be created by something else. But that gets problematic because that requires, one, for everything to fit within our own universe and our own understanding of time. But that requires the concept of eternity to make sense. And I'm not going to get into it now. If you want to understand why time can't be eternal, why things can't have always existed, go check out my article on Mormonism. Uh, It's the second article in that series that deals with it. But in order for us to have a right and logical and reasonable understanding of the universe, we have to say that there had to be a creator that wasn't created. So with the ball, you know, I was talking about cause and effect. Something caused that ball to move. Likewise, the universe had to exist because something caused it to exist but we understand that God has to exist and to have always existed because the universe itself and everything within it needs what's called the uncaused cause. So whatever it is that caused everything around us to exist has to have started with someone or something that didn't itself need to be created or caused. And so we see throughout God's word that he talks about how he is the I am, He is the self-existent one. That God is not dependent on anything for His own existence. He is the only thing that is not only not created, but it, He is not dependent on something else for its survival. You know, because even the very universe, as we read in Colossians, is held together through the power of Jesus Christ. He is the one who upholds everything. And so, boiled down, this cosmological argument. Basically just says that if the universe exists, it had to have a beginning and something had to make the universe have a beginning. And based on the evidence in the universe, based on what this personal God has given us through his word, we know that it had to be God who created everything because nothing just exists on its own. Nothing just chooses to create itself. You know, like we talked about. The, the wall next to you, the ground that you're sitting on, that didn't just spontaneously happen. You know, everything that we see that has purpose and form and structure was created with a purpose by a builder. You know, houses don't just pop into existence. They don't just occur because they are ordered, because they are functional, because they have a use and a purpose. We know that there was an intelligence behind it. Now, this next one, I debated not using because of every argument I've ever heard for God's existence. I've always found this to be the weakest one, but I do hear it used sometimes within debates. So I figured I would cover it, and God may bring about an opportunity for you to use it. Now, this is called the ontological argument. And what this basically says is that if we can imagine a being like God exists, then God must exist. Now, I'm going to make this one quick. I'm not going to dig too deeply. If you're still confused at the end of it, that's fine. But we'll get into it. What this basically comes down to is that we as human beings can only imagine things based on our own experiences. We can't imagine something that is in some way impossible. So right now you might be trying to imagine some kind of monster or alien or some kind of structure that has never existed before. But when we do that, what we do is we take individual components of things that already exist and attach them and i'll speak personally every time i think of this argument i always try to picture some weird purple monster with you know a a fuzzy body and tentacles and a horn and all that but right now you can probably to a certain degree picture that monster in your own mind and that's because i took things that already existed a furry body the concept of a monster itself tentacles I took those things and used them to describe something that, of course, doesn't exist. But I used things that do exist to cobble them together. And so what this ontological argument basically says is, if we can imagine a perfect being, that being would be composed of every highest and good thing to make it perfect. So we, we can't imagine a being who is perfect apart from... What we understand about good and power and righteousness and even you know punishing evil and things like that so we as human beings can imagine someone or something that perfectly embodies all of these good qualities that we as humans as we learned about in the moral argument can imagine a perfect person or a perfect god-like creature would possess so let's picture a a god who is perfectly and completely loving who is patient, but who also doesn't let evil go unpunished, someone who is perfectly forgiving. You know, imagine all these qualities that, let's be honest, we understand about God. Now, what would be more perfect for that being to just exist in our minds or for that being to actually exist? Well, of course, the most perfect thing would be for all these traits to actually exist in a perfect creator. And so therefore, because we can take all these individual pieces and put them together into one being, that being has to exist because we wouldn't be able to imagine a being like that if it didn't exist. So I'm going to stop there. Again, I would not recommend you bust this one out unless it makes a lot of sense to you or you find yourself with, with God presenting you with a person who this might matter to them. But again, I just wanted to cover it because it's one of the bigger arguments out there. And so, I just wanted to, if nothing else, equip you to understand that there's some weird stuff that people believe. There's some things that have convinced others throughout history that seem ridiculous to us. But fortunately, God's good, and God prepares people to hear what they need to hear when they need to hear it. Now, the last one I'd like to argue about, and of course, this isn't the last evidence for God, but in terms of what is popular and what is often used, this is about the last one, is what's called the teleological argument. And this basically says that things are way too complex to just be random. So now, if you ever have heard any kind of debates from, you know, a Christian debating an atheist, you may have heard something like this. And this is often used with a pocket watch, but we'll we'll modern it up a little bit and use an iPhone. So let's say you're walking along a beach and you kick something in the sand. You look down and you see that an iPhone X, I think that's the current one, is sticking out of the sand. Now, at no point in any reality is someone going to look down and say, Whoa, look what just randomly occurred. The only explanation for this is that, you know, the sand was struck by lightning and that kind of compressed to create this glass case and bits of plastic floated in from the ocean and compressed in such a way under the heat of the sun. And, you know, some, some scraps of metal from the ocean and the minerals from the ground compressed together to create all this wiring and this circuitry. This is amazing. I can't believe something like this randomly occurred. No, no one's ever going to say that, right? When you see something as complex as an iPhone, you're going to know that the iPhone itself, while impressive, didn't just create itself. It's not so impressive and so amazing that it just happened to exist. You know that because of its intricate nature, because it's complicated, because it has very specific functions to it, you know, because you can turn on the phone, you can input a password, you can use apps, you can listen to music. There's so much about it that is intricate and purposeful that you know someone created it, someone designed it, someone saw to it that it was manufactured And you would not only laugh, but be very concerned if someone was honestly and genuinely convinced that that phone just happened to exist. Now, take that kind of belief that a phone just existed and apply it to everything in this incredible and complex and functional universe. Everything from the cosmos themselves all the way down to our DNA. Everything that we see is... Far too complex to be just time plus chance creating everything we see you know if you study biology and you learn about how eyeballs work those things are incredibly complex and they in order for evolution to work how it says in order for us to start from a big bang where a bunch of dust popped into existence from out of nowhere because it had to create itself and then you know, exploding and and going across the universe, in order for all that to eventually culminate in just, just one thing, just something as complex as our eyeball is basically impossible. Now, scientists would say, oh, well, but given enough time and, and given the right circumstances, yes, we could say that about the eyeball, we can say that about the iPhone. But let's be realistic and say that the odds of just an eyeball developing in a way that is perfect and functional and has all the, these soft bits to it that are so easily damaged but work so well and so perfectly, the odds of just that developing from some kind of primordial soup is basically impossible. Now, apply that to every organ in the body that has a connected purpose and a function that works to do so much that we don't even realize. I mean, the fact that we are still breathing without thinking about it is an incredible statement to how complicated our system is and and how our brains work without us telling it to work. And so, you know, with this one, we see that just like an iPhone has to have a maker, the universe, the human body, weather, water, everything has to have an intelligence behind it. It has to have a creator that decided one day to put stuff here. You know, and it's not just this random bucket of Legos that we see around us, right? Like the things that we see aren't just a random collection of stuff. The things around us have form. They have structure to them. They have a purposeful design. You know, and even if you listen to atheistic scientists talk, they can't escape the language of saying that things in the in the universe and nature are by some kind of design. Now, they would, of course, not attribute it to God. They would say that it's you know, natural selection and things like that. But even they can't escape the fact that things could either exist or not exist, but something worked to make them exist. But again, let's go back to the bucket of Legos. A bucket of Legos doesn't decide to form itself into a replica of the Sistine Chapel. You know, even if you have some kind of force that takes that bucket of Legos and throws it in the air, you are never going to find a point in any time where no matter how many times you throw those Legos up in the air, they're going to land and actually build a structure. Not even a simple structure, you know, a, you know, a three-year-old's version of building a house, right? Where it's just, you know, a bunch of square Legos stacked on top of each other and then a flat piece plopped on top. No amount of times of throwing Legos into the air is going to create that under any circumstance unless there's an intelligence behind it. Because a pile of Legos on the floor Is random. There's no form to it. There's no purpose to it. But as soon as those pieces start getting put together, as soon as they start serving a purpose, as soon as they start having a form, the more that happens, the harder it is to escape that some kind of intelligence created such a structure. And we're just talking about Legos. We're not even touching how complicated our very DNA is. And yet, what is DNA except a bunch of building blocks stacked together to create something with purpose and form and function? So, the teleological argument broken down is simply that any one thing in nature that is complicated, whether it's our eyeball, whether it's how a giraffe has its circulatory system designed so that when it bends down to drink water, its brain doesn't explode from blood pressure, whether it's our DNA, you know, the more complicated things we see in the universe, the more and more impossible it becomes for there not to be an intelligent design Behind all of it. Now, that is kind of a crash course, fairly quick breakdown of the various evidences for God's existence. I will include in the show notes uh, timestamps so that you can go back and kind of re listen to these things. I would, of course, encourage you to visit my blog where I am digging a little more deeply and making them a little more user friendly for each of these. But the three to remember for why we as Christians can be confident that God exists is one human beings inherently understand right and wrong Two, the universe exists and therefore something had to cause it to exist but that thing couldn't have something else create it so there needs to be what we called the uncaused cause the there had to be some being that has always existed in order to jumpstart everything else and then number three the teleological argument the idea that Whatever we look at, whether it's a microphone, whether it's a dog, things in this universe are just too complex to be as random as throwing Legos in the air and creating incredible structures. There has to be an intelligence behind everything that we see. But as I said, I think it's good to also look at the other side of the coin. And the reason that I want to look at arguments against God's existence is because... You know, I know from experience that it's very easy to just surround ourselves with yes-men, people who agree with our beliefs and would never challenge them. And that creates a very dangerous way of thinking because either we're going to isolate ourselves from the world because we are afraid of those who would challenge us and make us think and even make us question ourselves, or we're going to fall away because... We're, we have no need to think critically up to that point. We have no need to have evidence for God's existence because, well, my parents always told me that God exists. I have Christian friends who say God exists. I go to a church where they teach that God exists. Why would I need evidence for that? I'm, I'm allowed, I'm told, I'm encouraged to believe it. And so I do. But as soon as that challenge comes in, as soon as someone says, hey, let's engage your mind. What makes more sense that God exists just because an old book tells you he does or that he doesn't exist because of all these evidences we have that say otherwise. And so, you know, if you're a parent and you are terrified of your child falling away when they go to college or just get older and leave the house, this is why it's important as parents for us to not just tell our kids what to believe, but explain to them and teach them why we believe it. Because if Christianity is true, then it's going to have a foundation of truth underneath it, not just in terms of Jesus existed, but in terms of everything that we believe about the universe. If God exists, we need to use our minds to understand how that's possible, even though we as humans aren't going to fully grasp God's existence. Absolutely not. But God gave us intellect. He gave us the ability to use logic and reason And those are good gifts. And we can use those to glorify him by understanding him through the gifts that he's given us. You know, just as Roman talks about how, you know, God's power has been displayed through the creation all around us. You know, we can use our physical senses. We can use what we see to know that there's a being who exists. We can also use our minds to understand and defend against doubt that comes about God not existing. So understanding all that. Let's just get into some kind of simple evidences that people will carry or bring against you when it comes to God not existing. And while the other arguments had very structured names and all that, these really don't. These aren't hard beliefs because they're really just responses to the Christian belief. So the first thing that people will say is that God is just unseen. There's a lack of evidence that he exists. You know, and this seems to be the number one faith killer for a lot of people, whatever their age, the fact that we say God exists, we pray to God, we trust God, we say that he is all powerful and all good and that everything that happens is according to his will. We say that and we believe it, but where is God? Why can't we see him? Why can't we offer someone proof that he exists? Because wouldn't the whole world turn to him if he just showed himself in a clear way? And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, but I believe he exists. I know he exists in my heart. There's an old hymn that talks about, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. But the reality is that how we feel about something doesn't make it true. And that's where a lot of people really struggle with their faith is because, God, if you're real, just reveal yourself just this once and I will believe. But he doesn't. And so people would say that because God doesn't exist in a way that we tell him to, that we want him to, he doesn't reveal that existence, I guess I should say, that he must not be real. And now as Christians, we, of course, want to be careful of this, because what we're saying is, God, I will believe you when you jump through this hoop. When you are willing to get inside this box that I demand, I will believe in you, or I will trust you, or I will obey. And, you know, again, I hope it's very clear that I'm not ever calling people, because I don't think God calls people, to just blindly believe that God exists because they're supposed to believe that. I believe that our faith in God is very reasonable, that it is based not on emotion or personal experience, but based on the fact that God has revealed himself through more than just what we can see with our eyes in terms of his essence or his being. There is everything around us that shows us and proves to us that what God's word says is true, whether it's creation itself, whether it's our understanding of right and wrong, whether it's that kind of empty feeling that we have where we know something is missing you know even for you know a lot of us it's just the fact that we recognize our own mortality we recognize that despite the image we try to give we are not good people and we know that there's a problem with that we know that there's something more out there and that it's not going to be pleased with who we are and the lives we live you know and i think that that's in ecclesiastes what Solomon was talking about when it says that God has put eternity into man's heart. You know, we understand more than just our day-to-day, than just our simple pleasures now. We try to distract ourselves, certainly, and in our society today, that is very easy. It's very easy to find our own sense of self-worth and pride and distraction in all that we have available to us. But at the end of the day, when we're laying there at night, we know there's more to it. That just because we can't see God doesn't mean he doesn't exist. We know that there's something more to this life than just the few decades we get. And so as Christians, all that to say, be careful about trying to tell God that you won't obey if he doesn't first obey you, if he doesn't meet your demands. You know, we can't hold our obedience and our lives ransom because we demand that God do what we say. Now, another thing that people would say is they would point to a type of logic— called Occam's razor. And what this basically means is that don't add complications to something if it can be simple. So I've heard this in terms of horses. You know, if you are out in a field in Texas and you hear hoof beats, your immediate thought should be that there are horses nearby, not that zebras have somehow found themselves to an open range in America. You know, we don't add complexities to things that can be explained by much simpler terms. Now, of course, that's not always true, but overall, those who deny the existence of God would say that, look, if the universe can exist naturally without the intervention of a divine being, then why add complications to it? Why add a God where a God is not needed? And fair enough. If the universe could be explained purely by natural means, that would have some weight. Now, of course, as we've discussed, on the surface, sure, it makes sense that things could just pop into existence, that they could form themselves, that given enough time, given the right circumstances, all that we see around us could eventually develop on its own without any kind of guidance. But really, you know, as we saw with the teleological argument... It actually doesn't work. You actually need to add a lot of time, a lot of specific circumstances, a lot of failed evolutions in order to get where we are today. Instead, it's actually simpler to say everything that exists in its complex state exists because a complex creator made them, and intelligence is behind everything. So again, sure, people can argue that given enough time it works, but... In reality, it just does not hold up in any logical sense. Now, another argument is the idea of imperfection. You know, if God is perfect, then what he does should be perfect. And we would say that he created the universe, he created Adam and Eve, he set them up in the garden, but then they fell, they sinned. And since then, the world's been on a crash course towards its own destruction. So we look around today, we look at the violence. The fear, the hatred, wars, sickness. And we have to ask, why do evil and suffering exist if a good, perfect, and loving God is real? And so this is a hard one for a lot of people. Whenever they face personal tragedy, they'll say, why me? Why would God allow this to happen to me if he's real? And so you'll have, you know, very famous atheists who say that, you know, if God existed, he's not good. He's a moral monster. Because what kind of monster would say, oh, I love these people. They are my children. But here, let's let them get cancer. Let's let them get slaughtered by senseless violence. Let's let them be hateful people. No good God would do that. So either God doesn't exist or he exists and he's the most evil being in all the universe. And as Christians, that is a hard one, you know, because we look at everything happening immediately around us and say, you know, why, why is this happening? But, you know, God is good in that he's actually given us a lot of the Old Testament to show us that things that seem bad now have a greater purpose later, even if we can't understand why, you know, because God, you know, we see he lets terrible things happen to his people. He lets them be conquered. He lets them be slaughtered. You know, I mean, the Bible is not this, you know, epic action novel, but if you really understand what's happening, a lot of God's people die. And that's not God slipping. That's not God messing up. God allows it to happen because he has a bigger purpose in mind. You know, the things that we see as evil, God's going to have a reckoning for it. You know, every evil act will be punished. And we may say, well, why is God waiting? Why doesn't he punish evil now? Well, mostly because I think God wants there to be human beings left on the earth. You know, if God were to remove evil from the world... The only thing he has to do is remove us because we are the perpetrators of evil. We choose evil things. We are given the choice between doing what we know is right and doing what we feel like doing. And every sin you've ever created, every sin you've created today, every sin you will do tomorrow and following all of it is because you are chasing your own desires over glorifying God. And so if we want to remove evil, We have to remove us, because God can't just make us perfect. He can't make us him. He will remove sin from us, but no perfect thing in eternity will exist because it wasn't first somehow broken, somehow sinful, somehow tainted by the evil and wickedness of the universe. And so again, I understand that's a hard one, because horrible things happen to Christians. You know, there are christians who grow up with sexual abuse or physical abuse they lose a parent they lose a spouse they lose a child and they want to say why why how can god exist and it gets dangerous when we try to say well here's why god did it and i've heard well-intentioned christians try to say oh well your child died because and what we have to realize is that you know like god says in the old Testament. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. What God does, a lot of times, we cannot possibly understand because God has an infinite view of both what's happening in the world now, what has happened all of time, and where his bigger plans are. And so while it can be a difficult question, we can at least have confidence that just as God worked all things for good for Israel, as he worked all things for good to bring us to the point of salvation, we can trust that even the most difficult, heartbreaking, horrible things that we experience in life, somehow our good God is going to use in a good way. We may not see how, we may not understand why, we may even die wondering why. But because God has shown who he truly is and what his nature is, we know that even if we don't understand why, we can trust. Now another one, and I'll make this one quick, is the idea of God's impossible beginning. In other words, if God created us, if God created the universe, who created God? And we talked about that with the, the uncaused cause thing. But where this struggle actually comes in is that we as human beings only have our existence and our experiences to tell us what is true and what is possible. And so as humans, we only understand existence from a stationary point. In other words, if you are in Iowa right now, you are only experiencing things that are happening in Iowa just around you. You're not experiencing what's happening in Iowa everywhere else. You're not experiencing what's happening in Russia or China. Your existence is bound to where you are because you can only exist in one space at one time. And likewise, you can only experience time in one way. You are you are stuck in time. You can't go backwards. You can't see what's coming next. Everything to you is either a memory hope or happening right at this exact moment. And that's important for us to understand because we want God to fit in a way that we can understand. We want to, as I said, we, we want to put him in a box. And so that's what this argument tries to do is it tries to put God in a box and say, Oh, well, everything has a beginning. Everything in this universe has a beginning. So what was God's beginning? You know, when we try to apply our human limitations to our creator and the simplest argument against that is that Genesis one, one tells us exactly why God didn't need to have a beginning, why God is not bound by time or space or having physical matter, you know, because Genesis one, one shows us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, God created space, you know, because space is not this infinite thing. Space itself has edges. He created matter, you know, he created the earth, but he also created time. That's why it says, in the beginning. You know That means that God, at some point in history, started the clock on how time works. But before that, there was no time. And so God exists outside of all these things that confine us to experiencing life like we do. So God doesn't have to be made out of physical matter because he created physical matter. He can't create something that he is dependent on. God is not bound to exist in a certain place. You know, he's not bound by space like we are, because again, he is the one who created not just our bodies and and our consciousnesses, but he created all the universe, everything within it, even the the, the bounds of the universe itself. And we know that God does not have to have been created. He doesn't have to have a beginning because a beginning is a measure of time. It says that there's a point In history where we can go back and say that this didn't always exist. You know, my house didn't always exist. There is a point where we can go back and find its beginning. But God is not bound like that because he is not stuck in time like we are. And then finally, I'll just end these arguments against God's existence with one that is kind of silly. And that is that God is kind of a paradox. In other words, we make claims about him that can't exist side by side. And what that means is a paradox is when you have two truths that are contradictory or don't work together. So in other words, we say that God is all powerful. What that would mean then is that God, if he were powerful, could create a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it. And that's where this impossibility comes from, right? Because if God create could create a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it, then there'd be something he couldn't do because he couldn't lift it. But if he can't create a rock that heavy, then there's something he can't do because he can't create an infinitely heavy rock. And so I'm not going to spend much time about this. It's obviously a ridiculous thing. And I've actually even written about it on my blog just because it comes up enough in casual conversations with people that I figure it's at least worth considering. But, you know, things like, you know, how can God be all loving but also punish people? How can God be good and allow evil to exist? You know, we, we say that these things are all true about God, and they seem contradictory. They seem to work against themselves. But, you know, the more that we study God, the more that we dig into the Word, and really the more that we understand the, the true nature of who He is. Not that we can ever fully understand Him, because, again, God is infinite. We are, we are toddlers trying to understand Why the president of the United States does what he does. You know, it's just, it's, it's way beyond anything we can understand, but the more that we try, the more that we study, the more that we trust and allow the Holy spirit to do his work in us, the more we're going to realize that these things that seem contradictory aren't because God is wrong, but because we are because our understanding of love and justice are perverted because we don't understand how evil can be made into good. You know, we are limited. We don't understand. We have this idea that, you know, if I was God, here's how I would do it. And the fact that we ever think we would do anything different from how God does it shows that we are not perfect, that we don't have knowledge, that we don't have wisdom, and that we don't understand the ways of God. And if we keep it humble, that's okay. We don't have to fully understand God, but we cannot take God to court and say, God, You are not acting the way that I approve of, so I take issue with you. I call you out. I am calling you wrong. You are not doing it right. You know, that is how the world responds to God. That is not how we, as his followers, should ever respond to him. Not because we're scared, not because we're going to lose our salvation, but because the level of pride and arrogance required for us to honestly say, God, I am more right than you are is, I think, if we're honest, so far beyond anything we ever want to be guilty of. And that is a kind of sin we definitely don't want to place on our Savior. So that'll be it for those arguments, either for and against God's existence. Obviously, I very heavily fall on the side of for God's existence. I think even just from a purely logical sense, the universe, morality, nothing makes sense without a good, perfect, and all-knowing creator behind them. Now, if you are also a follower of Christ and you're hearing this, I hope that you'll be encouraged to dig more into why you believe what you believe about all things, but especially God's existence, because we see that it's important not just to live our lives for ourselves, but to love God's enemies by being able to explain to them why our faith is reasonable, why the truth of God's word makes sense. You know, we see in First Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So, you know, if you're a follower of Christ, God has called you to, yes, love him, but love him with your mind. Understand why God exists, why the Bible is true, why Christ is the only way to repair the relationship that we have shattered with our creator you know so if you're listening to this a lot of this might be new to you and it can be a hard thing to to work through and again i'll include links in the show notes i will include articles and other things that i've written that can maybe help you dig deeper into this but take seriously god's call to be ready to be prepared to be equipped to make a defense for your beliefs not just why Jesus is real and why people need to be a Christian, but let people know that whatever you believe, you believe because it's true. And if it's true, it can be explained and it can be understood. So I hope this episode was useful to you. I hope that it has equipped you to understand God more deeply and even to defend him to those who may doubt him, As you go out and you have opportunities to share with people, to defend God's existence with people, don't do it with the intention of winning an argument. Do it with the intention of evangelizing, of letting them know that Christianity isn't this superstitious nonsense that only, you know, fools and idiots believe. You know, let them know that I believe this because it makes the most sense. It is the most reasonable thing. It is the best explainer of all truth based on what we see in the universe. You know, God's not going to be real and then be against the very logic and methods of reason that he's given us. You know, so as you talk to people, you're not going to do this perfectly. You're not going to win an argument per se. You may not even convert people to Christ, but that's okay because our goal as Christians isn't to win, it's not to be the ones who save other people. You know, God is not so cruel that he would leave the eternal destiny of our friends or family in our hands. You know, we know that God is good. We know that we are workers alongside him, that he allows us to take part in our own holy living, but also in the encouragement and challenging and ultimately the salvation of others around us. So as you're thinking about this, don't enter into theological conversations Worried or with fear that you're going to say the wrong thing or look stupid or push someone away from God because you are not stronger than God. And take comfort in that. But take this seriously, you know, because we want to be obedient to God in every way. And so if God Himself is calling us to defend our faith, to tear down speculations, to take every thought captive to Christ, then just do it. Walk in obedience. Because we love the God who saved us. We love the God who's revealed himself. And we love the God who calls us to walk alongside him and to serve and to be a part in this incredible work that he has in the world of bringing his enemies out of their sin, out of their rebellion, saving them through the blood of Jesus Christ and making them not just his friends, but his children. And if you feel that this episode has helped you with that, if it has encouraged you, if it's challenged you... I hope you will consider supporting me through Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can pledge as little as a dollar, and every little bit helps to pay for the costs of my podcast and blog, and also helps me to just replace my own income so I can devote more time to equipping Christians like you to understand their faith, understand why they believe what they believe, and to face this sinful world with a biblical worldview. So thank you for listening. Now keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.